Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST. And up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. As a solo camper at times, and as a full-time RV for a bit, and as someone who works alone outdoors in South Florida in wild places and in areas where homeless or addicts set up at times, for work I often am physically boxed into a spot doing my work on foot and can't run to escape or make enough noise but i cover all my bases i always have my 38 on me in a sticky holster in my sprouts bra i have my machete for work on me i have pepper spray on a lanyard having on my right side i have a knife on a lanyard on my left side i have a scream alarm i can yank attached to me for camping i do all the normal stuff pair of extra worn men's shoes extra chair, keep everything except what I'm using in the vehicle or backpack in order to get the F up fast, keep each emergency item within inches on both sides of me, put up a tripwire, have a red light head lamp that I will usually sleep with on, you can see, at night with red better and don't lose night vision, keep a very easy to grab and point very bright gator hunting light right next to me because I'm going to blind the F out of them, even if my only choice is to literally jump up and run into the woods. Slip on shoes, my dash cam pointing at me, or a wireless one doing to the soul. If it all goes to hell in a handbasket, there might end up being a record. And what I have at all times without fail is a Garmin inReach device for work and for camping and hiking and traveling. 
It tracks and communicates via satellite. Someone always knows my location and plan and timeline. Even for work. I have gotten heat exhaustion in a wetland and not been able to get out and had to be found and helped by a co-worker. I stepped on a very large rattlesnake and it didn't strike. I fell in a waist-high wetland and my chest waders filled up. I've gotten fully lost in the woods doing work. I've come down a trail during work and found a whole tent city and still had to keep working. Junkies, I have my gear for theft. I've had a creepy F knock on my camper. I've had my deceased wolf dog go hog wild at someone looking at me, which he never did that bad despite her fierce protection of me. I've had a truck of two guys ask a question on a power line road while I had two big dogs with me walking, then disappeared, then came back for another question, while one said something I couldn't hear but seemed like, come on, man, let's do it now. And both dogs' hair was straight up. They drove down the rock road again, and I hid in the woods until my boyfriend came back on his map bike. We are vulnerable, but we can do it. It sucks that we have to build Fort Knox around ourselves to be able to be alone out there. But the simple fact that nearly any man can kill near any woman with their bare hands makes it our reality. And a number of other things they can do that stop short of death are innumerable and just as evil and deadening. Be aware, take care, be strong, and get outside. In January of 2010, a good friend of mine, Robin V. of Monroe Falls Paranormal Society contacted me about a rash of sightings of a werewolf-type creature running out of a Metro Park crossing traffic. Upon talking to witnesses, all of them described it as a werewolf or dogman. I went to the offices of the Metro Park District to ask about the sightings of the dogman that have been reported in their parks. Their comment to me was, we don't like to talk about it. They are aware that there is something in the park. They're just not sure what it is exactly. I left contact info in case of more sightings. About a week and a half later, I received a call from a friend about a sighting from one of the park rangers. I met up with him the next morning. He stated that he was getting back into his vehicle and looked off to the left and seen what appeared to be a dog on all fours. He got into his vehicle backed up, and when the headlights shined on the dog, it stood up and looked at him for a brief moment and walked away on just two feet. The ranger took me to the site where he saw the creature standing. There were fresh tracks in the snow. I counted 168 tracks coming out of the deep woods to where the creature was standing, and tracks from where it was standing to out of the park across the road. This is still an ongoing investigation. I was out super late one night, probably about 1994, being a typical badass kid. I had snuck out the window and it was about 4 a.m. and I had to hurry up and get home before people woke up for work at my house. So I decided to cut through the woods. It was quicker and probably safer than walking on the highway. I was 12-ish and half drunk cause otherwise I never would walked in the woods by myself at night. Now I am a girl at that time probably 110 pounds and looked at least 17. I have a daughter that looks just like me that gives me nightmares. Anyways, I started walking and I honestly couldn't see anything, like barely my hand in front of my face, but I had walked this path many times and it was well worn. I was almost to the other side when someone about three feet from my face was holding a beeper and lit it up like they were checking it. That's all I saw, no hand or body, just a floating lit up beeper. I took the F off and never did that dumb shit again. Well, I never walked through the woods. I totally snuck out my window again. People either don't believe me or they don't understand how terrifying it was. Kids are dumb. The journey from New Jersey to East Stroudsburg, Pennsylvania, was one that we had made countless times. We were accustomed to the winding roads. 
the dense forest that seemed to close in around us, and the way the moonlight filtered through the trees, casting eerie shadows on the pavement. But this particular night was different. It was around 1 a.m., and the Poconos had never felt so desolate and ominous. I gripped the steering wheel with both hands, my knuckles white as I navigated the dark, lonely stretch of road. Sarah sat in the passenger seat, her eyes fixed on the road ahead, though there was little to see beyond the reach of our headlights. Can't wait to get home, she said, her voice barely louder than a whisper. Me too, I replied, my voice carrying a hint of exhaustion. As we continued down the deserted highway, a feeling of unease settled over us. The isolation of the Poconos at night had a way of playing tricks on the mind, making ordinary sounds seem sinister and casting doubt on the familiar. It was during this eerie silence that Sarah suddenly pointed to something on the side of the road. Matt, did you see that? she asked, her voice trembling. I squinted through the windshield, trying to make out what had caught her attention. I saw a faint figure up ahead, walking slowly along the shoulder of the road. It was a person dressed in what appeared to be white hospital scrubs. Yeah, I see them, I replied, my grip on the steering wheel tightening. What on earth are they doing out here at this hour? Sarah's concern deepened as we approached the mysterious figure. She could see that the person's posture seemed strange, almost as if they were hunched over, as if carrying a heavy burden. She urged me to slow down, not only out of concern for the stranger, but also out of curiosity. As we neared the person in scrubs, the headlights of our car illuminated the area, revealing more details. The figure's face was obscured, and their movements were slow and deliberate, as if they were in a trance. Sarah's heart pounded in her chest, and a sense of foreboding washed over her. Should we stop and check if they need help? She asked, her voice quivering. I considered the situation for a moment, then nodded. I eased the car to a stop, and the two of us watched as the person in scrubs continued to shuffle forward. Their head hung low. Stay in the car. I instructed as I got out, my footsteps echoing in the silence of the night. Sarah watched anxiously as I approached the mysterious figure. I called out to them, asking if they were okay, but there was no response. It was as if the person was oblivious to our presence. I reached out to touch their shoulder, hoping to get their attention. But as my hand made contact with the person in scrubs, something chilling happened. The figure seemed to evaporate, dissipating into thin air like a wisp of smoke. I stumbled backward in shock, my eyes wide with disbelief. What? What just happened? I muttered to myself. Sarah, who had witnessed the entire surreal encounter from the safety of the car, was equally bewildered. She stepped out of the vehicle, her heart still racing, and joined me by the side of the road. I saw it too, she said, her voice trembling. They were right there, and then they just disappeared. We exchanged a nervous glance, our minds struggling to process the inexplicable event we had just witnessed. There was no logical explanation for what had occurred. It defied the laws of nature and reason. With a sense of unease that lingered long after we had resumed our journey, we continued on our way to East Strasbourg. The memory of the person in scrubs would haunt our thoughts, a perplexing and unsettling mystery that would forever remain unsolved. As the first light of dawn broke over the Poconos, casting a warm and reassuring glow over the landscape, we finally reached our destination. We pulled into our driveway, grateful to have left the dark and eerie night behind us. But even as we stepped out of the car and entered our home, we couldn't shake the feeling that the Poconos held secrets we may never fully understand. The memory of the disappearing figure in the scrubs would forever serve as a reminder that sometimes, in the dead of night, the line between the ordinary and the supernatural could blur, leaving us with a sense of wonder and dread that would never fade. So I arrived home at my apartment at 11.45 p.m. when I felt a presence by the woodline. I saw something looking at me, and then finally I saw two eyes. It seemed like it was stalking me. I could only see the eyes in the shape of its head, 
I couldn't really see its body, but instantly I felt fear and went inside my apartment. Once inside, I started looking through the blinds just a little bit. I didn't want to move the blinds too much because I knew it knew where I was, so I didn't want to make any sudden movements with the window blinds. Then I saw it heading my way. This beast looked like a bodybuilder with a wolf or dog-like head. Judging by its silhouette, this thing must have been seven to eight feet tall. It stopped just for a second right in front of my window, and then it left. I've never feared for my life like I did that night. The unsettling experiences I'm about to share with you began when I was around 12 years old and have left an indelible mark on my memory, continuing to haunt me even now at the age of 19. It all unfolded during a camping trip with my family. My sister Zoe, our father, and his then stepmother, along with her two daughters, Jade, who was my age, and Maddie, who was around my sister's age. Little did we know that this seemingly innocent excursion into the great outdoors would soon take a dark and mysterious turn. Our camping adventure had commenced uneventfully, with everything seemingly in order during the initial day of our trip. The sun shone brightly, and the world was imbued with the vibrant colors of nature. We were in high spirits as my sisters and I decided to venture to a nearby stream on our own, away from the watchful eyes of the adults. To ensure our safety, our father entrusted us with a walkie, talkie, a means of keeping in contact while we explored the area. Our path to the stream led us through a dense thicket, a corridor of underbrush that concealed the world beyond. With our shoes off, we delighted in the cool water splashing and playing without a care in the world. It was a joyous occasion until Jade, my same aged stepsister, suddenly broke our reverie. With a revelation, she claimed to have spotted something lurking among the trees, a figure shrouded in inky blackness. The figure's form resembled that of a man, but the lack of distinct features left us unable to ascertain more. We stared in its direction, an eerie sense of disquiet permeating the air when, just as suddenly as it had appeared, the figure vanished. Curiosity peaked. We cautiously returned to our watery play, but an unshakable unease had taken root within us. A short while later, curiosity compelled us to check if the enigmatic figure had returned to the scene. When we looked once more toward the thicket, our surroundings seemed to change dramatically. Silence descended upon the forest, muffling even the gentle sounds of the babbling stream. The woods that had once been teeming with life became still, as if the very essence of nature held its breath. For approximately twenty minutes we scoured the dark recesses of the forest with our searching gazes, but the enigmatic figure remained elusive, frustrated, we eventually abandoned our quest and decided to make our way back to the campsite. The path meandered through the woods, curving and winding, which meant that my sisters and I quickly lost sight of each other. As I forged ahead, I heard a twig snap behind me, and I instinctively turned, assuming it was my sisters catching up to me. However, what greeted my eyes sent a jolt of terror coursing through my veins. Just a foot behind me stood a towering, shadowy figure, its form enveloped in inky blackness. Its visage was obscured, and I could not discern the features of its face. Fear gripped me, and I bolted, running with all my might. The sensation of being pursued was palpable as I felt its presence trailing just inches behind me. My heart raced, and my breath came in ragged gasps, but I dared not glance over my shoulder. I sprinted with every ounce of energy I could muster until I burst forth into the open expanse of the campground. As suddenly as it had appeared, the ominous figure had vanished. I was left standing alone, gasping for breath, my heart pounding in my chest. It was a nightmare come to life, a surreal encounter that defied explanation. My sisters eventually emerged from the woods, but none of them had witnessed the entity that had pursued me. They were too far behind, separated by the winding path that concealed us from one another. 
I recounted the harrowing experience to them, my voice quivering, my eyes wide with terror, but they struggled to grasp the gravity of the situation. None of us could fully fathom the nature of the entity that had stalked me that day, and we returned to our campsite, haunted by an unsettling sense of foreboding. Throughout the remainder of our camping trip, the figure did not reappear as frequently, but it continued to lurk on the periphery of our awareness. Occasionally, we would catch sight of the shadowy figure, standing in the distance, a silent sentinel observing our every move. The woods, once a sanctuary of natural beauty, had become tainted by an eerie presence that we could neither comprehend nor escape. Fast forwarding a couple of years, we decided to return to the same camping spot with my father's new girlfriend and her daughter, Stella. While I can't recall all the details of that particular trip, I distinctly remember Stella sharing a chilling revelation. She had also witnessed the enigmatic figure that had plagued our previous excursion. The years have passed, but the memories of those unexplainable encounters continue to haunt my thoughts, casting a shadow over my perception of the world. To this day, I cannot definitively explain the nature of the entity that stalked us in those woods. Its enigmatic presence remains etched into my memory, a lingering mystery that defies explanation and serves as a sobering reminder of the mysteries that lurk in the depths of the natural world. Throughout the winter of 1986, a certain ranger was riding his beat-up old snowmobile past a clearing in the deep woods of northern Wisconsin. It had just snowed. Now, and there were many deer tracks all over the place, the ranger was patrolling this area because it had been getting hit by poachers more often than any other part of that forest. As it came to the edge of a small clearing, he noticed that one set of deer tracks led behind an old abandoned cabin at one corner of the clearing. The ranger later told me that he tried to convince himself not to go look around back there, but something kept pushing him to investigate further. He finally gave in following those tracks until they disappeared under an upturned, broken three-board fence surrounding what looked like a small abandoned garden. Inside the clearing, it was very overgrown with grass and weeds, so the ranger couldn't see anything except for some broken pieces of wood on the ground, which seemed to indicate that this was indeed once a garden. Of course, this is how it normally would have looked except it was winter and there was a lot of snow on the ground. The ranger just stood there perplexed about what would have made those deer tracks go into the fence. Then, just as he started to step inside the clearing, I jumped out from behind one of those huge pine trees right in front of him. It took him about two seconds to realize it was not a deer or another snowmobiler. The yellow eyes were glowing brightly at him through his trusty flashlight beam as he stared straight into its face from only ten feet away. Instantaneously, his mind was yelling at him to run like hell, but his legs and feet were frozen in fear, just as frozen as everything around him was. And as he saw it start to lower its head and its upper body down like it was beginning to crouch on all fours, almost like it had been in all force before this happened. The ranger's mind had finally snapped clear back into reality and began spinning around like a top. For those few seconds, he was finally able to get back on a snowmobile. As soon as he sat down on the seat, he felt those skies underneath him. He shot out of the snow, and he could feel this creature give chase. His only thought then was getting out of there as fast as possible. The ranger did not look back until he reached the tree line at least 200 yards, away from where he had first seen this creature. By then, this being had lost him and stopped following him altogether. When he turned to look, he looked at the clearing, but he couldn't see much of the trees. He could make out glowing eyes looking out into the darkness of the forest behind him. They were kind of fading, but only shortly in the distance. The ranger returned to the main place two days later with another ranger by his side. For some reason, nothing was ever found there. No other signs of life, nobody having ever been out there. 
This was very strange and was never actually reported on paper. What I believe the ranger saw was either a skinwalker or, or a wendigo that he had potentially stumbled upon. If you talk to Native American tribes up there, those things are everywhere now. I don't think it was a skinwalker, but I do believe it could have been a wendigo, potentially hunting for its next victim. Had that park ranger not acted quickly, the ranger could have been his next victim or meal, depending on how you want to look at it. Assuming the wendigo or skinwalker was going to feast upon him, or even worse, possess him to do its own wicked works using his body. Now, this is also not the first report that I've read about from people up here. This is not just from Forest Service personnel, but also military personnel as well. I've even read personal reports from National Guard who are up near the border of Michigan, right by Canada, encountering their own creatures resembling a dead, rotting deer carcass, as one of them would describe. I know that might seem a little like creepy pasta to you, but I'm telling you, these are pretty professional men and women. They don't have time for Reddit creep pasta stories or fake stuff. My conclusion is that these people are actually facing real-life demons or black magic practitioners who have managed to shapeshift into these beings. But from what I do understand from these reports, a lot of these men and women are afraid to talk about it. They always try to keep it on the down, low, and they really don't want their name getting out attached to it. After all, if word gets out that your name is attached to a report that says you encountered a creature like this or a wendigo or a skinwalker, it could potentially destroy any career that you've ever dreamed of. So it makes sense why they want to keep it so low. From the sounds of it, we're dealing with supernatural entities here, beings far beyond that surpass the physical realm. These things will not only haunt you, but possess you and do far worse damage to you than you can ever imagine. It's no wonder that even trained professionals like these men and women are scared of them and want nothing to do with them. It even seems that being trained and armed has nothing to do with it either. No matter how much weaponry you're carrying around, these things aren't hurt by mortal weapons. I had one National Guard explain to me that one of these beings dematerialized right in front of him when he pointed his weapon at it, completely terrified that he was having hallucinations, or that he was borderline schizophrenic. They are very real. Please, when you're out in the woods, watch where you're going, and please, just because the woods exist, doesn't mean you always need to be out there. I have had three different encounters with three different creatures. I know what I saw. When I was younger, I saw what looked like a wolf or a big German shepherd on its hind legs running through a very thick patch of woods. It only happened for a second, but I remember the long muzzle and pointed ears distinctly. The second encounter was more exciting. It was late at night after a small barbecue or party at my uncle's farm, miles north of Ann Arbor. I was coming out of the barn to get some more food when I heard sticks breaking in the tree line to my right. My first impression was that one of the dogs got outside, so I went to see if that was the case. I walked towards the sound and remember hearing the creature flinch because the movement stopped as I approached. I called out for the golden retriever and peered into the trees. The barn had spotlights facing the house, and with a white paint job on it, they created a glow that allowed me to see better. About seven feet off the ground, a long muzzle poked through the trees, followed by the full figure of this creature. It was only twenty feet away from me, so I got the full picture. It was tall and lean, but very muscular. It had a distinct brown pelt on its body, with blackish fur on its shoulders. It had huge paws for feet, but its hands looked like they had five fingers, so they resembled long human hands, except for the fur and claws on them. Its head was the scariest. This thing had a huge set of canines. It looked like it was snarling, but I believe it was trying to smile. I couldn't make out exactly what its eye color was because of how dark it was, but they pierced into my soul. As the creature came into full view, 
I remember saying out loud to myself, Werewolf. I backed up slowly, and the creature stood there like a proud man standing over a deer he had hunted. It watched me for about 30 seconds, but it felt like 30 minutes. That's when my father, uncle, cousin, and grandfather all came out of the barn. When I tell you this thing ran, I mean it ran. It turned around, dropped to all fours, and leaped into the forest, making only a slight noise. I told my cousin about it, but he didn't believe me. I knew my father wouldn't believe me because he doesn't believe in anything. Four days ago, in my own backyard, the same type of creature knocked on my window. My curtains were drawn to give me a view of the woods. I live in the middle of a patch of woods near a fire road. I wasn't asleep yet and couldn't describe what was wrong, but I felt uneasy. I was trying to sleep when I heard a slight scrape at the house wall below my window. My window is eight feet off the ground. When I sat up in bed to see what was going on, I saw the head of what I can only describe as a werewolf in my window, which is only ten feet from my bed. I cursed, jumped up, turned on the light, and grabbed the survival machete I had in my closet. I turned to see if it was still there, but it had disappeared. The next day, I went out to see if I could find any tracks or anything that might prove what I saw, but I never found a thing. For about a day, I was unsure of myself. Then I heard about your radio show and decided that I should tell someone who can get the word out about it. Last week, my son, Caden, was in Ohio and saw both a Sasquatch and a Dogman on our uncle's family's property. To be exact, it was his brother's. The brother, Rocky, has been hearing howls coming from the woods and has shot into them several times. My son's cousin, Jersey, also saw a Dogman walking towards Rocky's house, and they saw shadows at the family cemetery. I'm trying to get permission from them to investigate. Caden says when he's deer hunting, he hears walking, knocks, grunts, and growls. A year or two ago, something scared the alpacas or llamas our aunt had on her part of the property, and when the one was found, it was torn apart. They said a bear did it. I believe otherwise, from what I was told. He did send me this picture of a tree. We found a nice steep hill. We could go sledding. We climbed up to the top, and we found the top of that hill was another steep hill. So we climbed up to the top of that one, and on the top of that one, sitting at another angle to it, was a third steep hill. So we were in hog heaven. We were like, man, we're going to make the ultimate luge run ever. It was about in the 20s today. The snow's kind of melty, and we can make this really great sledding run. It's going to be awesome. So we spent all afternoon making this awesome sledding run with supers and embankments and everything on it. So we said, it's too wet to use it now. We have to come back after it freezes again. So two days later, it was 20 below, and it was afternoon, second week in February, 1972. And we said, well, let's go back and go sledding now. It's super cold. It's Friday. School's out. Awesome. We'll get in some sledding all day. And we took off with our little sleds, and we went back there. Well, each of us made two runs down the hill, and we had started out in such a way that I can't remember which one of us got to the top first, but one of us was going down the hill while the other one was only about halfway up the second hill. So when one was at the top, the other was at the bottom working our way up, and it was going back and forth. When it was my turn, I was up at the top, and I put my little sled down. I had a five or six foot rut right up to the edge of this really steep first hill, and I looked back behind me, and all that was on this hill. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. It was just barren hardwood trees, mostly smaller ones. A few popples, and there was one really huge black spruce that was about 40 feet away from me. I turned around. I was about to jump on my sled, but something just didn't seem right. So I turned back, and I looked again. I'm 13 years old. I'm not that observant. I'm like something just looks different. And again, something in the back of my head went, that's just not right. That's not right. So I turned around, and I looked. That black spruce only has one trunk, not three. And those two extra trunks have fur on them. Well, hair, really long hair long gray hair. What's got long gray hair? Is there some kind of snow pants with long hair or something? Oh, it must be somebody pranking me. So I looked up above to where, you know, a teenager or even an adult would be, like maybe five or six feet, but there were just pine branches there. Then I noticed rustling up above that about three more feet. So I looked up above that and up at nine feet, there was this face looking at me and it had its hands like this, mimics holding tree branches apart with his left hand lower branch and his right hand upper branch while peering through, holding one branch apart at the top and the bottom, peering down at me, and it went, mimics a wide open mouth grin, and it grinned. And its face did not look even remotely human. It had a flat nose with two little slits, it had a big, thick brow ridge receding forehead. It was hard to see from up here. I don't know if it had a crest or not, because that's where the branch was. When it grinned, I could see all of its teeth. It had upper and lower canines, and all of its teeth and its mouth in the front that I could see were all sharp, so it was obvious to me this thing was a predator. I found out after the fact, actually the only time a great ape would bare its teeth at something is when it's trying to scare it, so basically it was saying, this is one of the weapons I will use to tear you apart. So at the time, not knowing that, but being plenty scared anyway, I leaped on my sled and flew down that hill as fast as I could. I was just going to get away from the monster. About halfway down the hill, my friend was walking up and saw me coming, and he said, I didn't even have to guess what was going on. I just saw your face was white. Your eyes were bulging, and you said, run like hell. So I jumped on my sled, and I was right behind you. Now, when I got to the end of the fire lane back at the house, it was about three miles away. I was about 15 minutes, if that. For about 10 of those minutes, I was standing there going, where was I just at? I'm not waiting for Dave. Why am I waiting for Dave? I had hysterical amnesia and completely forgot that whole incident for two years. And finally, at one point, my friend Dave, we had this little gathering with me, him and three or four other friends, and he said, remember that time we went sledding out there at the end of the fire lane? I'm like, no. He said, yeah, we went across that bog and we found those really steep hills the three of them stacked up and i'm like no and he goes yeah and you were coming down the hill really fast and you said run like hell boom and it all came back for like a month i wouldn't talk to him because it was so traumatic actually i'm still getting treated for post traumatic stress to this day and that's one of the things i'm being treated for when you're 13 years old and you see a nine-foot predatory monster, which turns out to be the Wendigo, after a few decades of studying, it's not a comforting thing. And it also ruins your belief in authority figures and your parents who told you there's no such thing as monsters. There's a friggin' monster out there. Don't tell me there's no such thing as monsters. And I see bears all the time. I live a mile from the county dump. There are three or four of them in my yard every week during the summer, so it isn't like I'm mistaking it. This is in the middle of winter, second week in January, 20 below, so bears aren't going to be up wandering around anyway. Plus, they are not nine feet tall, with eight to ten, inch grayish, white hair, especially in Maniota.
It did have claws on its hand, which is another thing that threw me. It took me years to figure that one out because all the Bigfoots they show didn't have claws or anything like that. This incident happened in October 1988 and it seemed to only come back to me over time. For years I thought it was a vivid dream. But now I am wondering if this really happened to me and if it was blocked from my memory when it happened. My father and I were bow hunting for deer on the border of Illinois and Wisconsin near Joe Davius County, Illinois. I was 15 years old at the time of this event. I had a deer come under my tree stand and take a shot. I waited for my father to return to my tree stand as he was about a mile away in his own tree stand. This was well after dark. I told him that I had taken a shot and we proceeded to follow the blood trail together. As we were walking through the field following the trail, I observed a violet light hovering over the tree line going from left to right. I told my father and he didn't pay much attention because he was following the blood trail and told me to quit messing around. I shined my flashlight at the light and it darted off toward the woods very fast. After some time the trail stopped and my father said we would resume the search in the morning, but he thought I probably had a brisket shot too low and wasn't going to get the deer. That night we ate dinner cooked by the Coleman stove and got ready for bed in the back of his old 1973 Chevy pickup. It had a metal cab on the back and I remember windows on the side and in the back. My dad snored loud and I remember him snoring that night. As I was lying in the back of the truck at some point in the night or early morning, I remember having a frightening feeling that someone was watching me to the point I didn't want to open my eyes. I did, and through the side, window saw what I think was the big-eyed, large head, gray, looking back at me. I closed my eyes again and heard what was like a mechanical voice telling me, We are not going to hurt you. Then something made me open the back window of the truck cab and get out. When I did, I observed three short and two taller big-head, big-eyed aliens and a disc-shaped craft landed in the field about 200 feet from the truck. I remember the little ones touching my fingers and leading me toward the craft and saying, Do not be scared in a mechanical voice that seemed to be in my head. That is all I remember. I woke up in the back of the truck thinking it had been only a vivid, scary dream. But it has bothered me since it happened. To this day, when I see an image on TV or other of a big head, big-eyed gray alien that sends chills down my spine. This story takes place as me and my boyfriend were moving into our new apartment. We were finishing off the long afternoon of moving boxes by putting up posters and decorations to try to make the place feel like home. I sat down on the bed and my cat came to cuddle in my lap. My boyfriend went into the living room to get more nails. While he was in the living room, he saw me walk behind him, except my hair was longer and I was wearing a white shirt that I didn't actually own. At a glance, though, he didn't think anything of it and turned around to ask me a question. Just as he turned around, the figure walked into the opposite hallway. He followed it into the office, and nothing was there. He then called my name and went back into our bedroom to find me still sitting with a cat on my lap. Nothing like that has happened since, and though our office did have weird vibes for about two months, we've had an overall very peaceful time at this apartment. It was the night of the Super Bowl, and me and all my buddies found my great-grandmother's old algebra board that was handed down to us. After deciding we were going to use it, we set it all up and tried it a few times, and nothing happened. After about five minutes of trying, they gave up and left the room for a bit. I, however, did not. I stayed back and tried it one last time to see what would happen. I turn off all the lights again, and I begin. To my surprise, it worked. I was scared, but asked a few things. My friends walked in the room and started laughing, thinking I was just screwing with them. Then I asked if it was friendly. It moved to the moon, indicating it was a demon. 
I looked up at my friends, and they could see the pure terror in my eyes. Then they realized I wasn't just messing around. I asked a few more questions until we ended up to the demon, saying it wanted to kill me. I freaked out and jumped up, forgetting to say goodbye. That night, I felt very uncomfortable. I went to bed and eventually fell asleep after trying for hours. I woke around 3, 45 a.m. I looked up to see myself on the kitchen table. Surrounding me were five candles in the shape of a pentagram with a steak knife lying beside me. The demon had possessed me to go get the candles, light them like a pentagram, and get the steak knife lay on the table. And then the worst part was I knew the demon I had spoke to earlier did this because I suddenly remembered I forgot to say goodbye to the board. I had a priest pray for me and cleanse my house after this. I will never touch a Wajah board ever again. I know this all sounds fake. Even when I read it over, I thought of no one's going to believe this. However, it is true this did happen, but it is your choice to believe it or not. Ever since we moved in our new old house my father bought, I was in fourth grade. It started almost immediately. When I went to sleep, I heard footsteps in the hallway. I heard my father snoring in his room and my sister turning in her bed with metal bed frame in her room. The footsteps always stopped right outside my doorway. Then something started to happen on daytime. I was alone with our family dog in our house. I was always scared shitless, and so was our dog. I heard strange bang noises in different rooms, and our dog went crazy. It got more worse, the more scared I became. During days, I would yell in our house that this was my home, and whoever it was to go away. But during the night, the entity got closer every night. It didn't stop anymore in front of my doorway. It started to step in my room, then step in front of my bed, then sit on my bed. The final day I was home alone again with our dog. I was shaking in living room couch with a knife. Our dog right beside me, growling and staring the hallway. Then I heard this loud bang, like a cabinet fell over or something. Our dog went absolutely crazy and I took the kitchen knife and went screaming. How I'm not afraid to search the noise's reason. Nothing had fallen. That night, I was like glued to the wall in my bed. I was panicking when I heard the footsteps. They got closer and closer. Like always, I was shaking and had trouble breathing. The thing sat on my bed next to me, but then it crowded over and I felt hot breathing on my neck. My eyes were closed and I thought that this was it. I was going to die. Suddenly, it said my freaking name gently and hushingly. I let out the biggest scream ever and jumped up and ran straight to my sister's room, hysterically crying. She woke up and asked what happened, and I just cried and stuttered that the man said my name. She asked what man, and I screamed the man that comes to my room every night. After that, some days later, my dad hit me, and I moved with my mother. I lived there for a few years and moved back to my dad. My sister was living on her own now. I moved in my sister's old room. Even though I was now 14, I was too scared to sleep in my old room. I slept with my door closed, but still, every night, I heard the same dreadful footsteps in the hallway. Few months went by, and I was at my sister's place visiting. Old stuff was brought up, and my sister asked me, did I remember the man I told her when I was 10? I said that I never forgot, and asked why she asked. She told me that on that night when I ran to her room crying and told her sobbing about the man, she acted brave for me, but when I told her, her blood run cold. She told me that every freaking night she heard the same footsteps for months. She just thought it was me. When I moved to my mom's apartment, she heard every night those footsteps wandering on the hallway. That's when she realized it wasn't me. I lived in the house, just me and my father, for four years. Every time I was alone, didn't matter if it was day or night. I heard it walk around the house, sometimes when I sat on couch watching a movie. My father's door would open behind me, and it walked from the room to stand behind my back. Sometimes it would put its hand on my shoulder, I think. 
I would feel it standing behind me and then feel this warm, tinkling sensation on my shoulder at a shape of a palm. The man didn't come to my sister's old room. It would stand in front of the doorway, but never step in the room. It was like the only room in the whole house out of its reach. The man has done something to everyone who has come to our house. Middle of the day, it touched my grandma's shoulder, would yank everyone's feet who had fallen asleep on the couch, would hit walls or just wander around the house. I found it kind of amusing that people who didn't believe in ghosts would be scared shitless and started to believe after spending some time in our house. Before I moved back to my mom's place at 16 years old, I wasn't scared of it anymore. It didn't hurt me or anything like that, and who knows, maybe it was just checking up on me that I was alright when I was a child. I'm 20 years old now and live in a different city. My dad lives in the house by himself now, but every time I visit him, I just know that the man is still there. If there would be a way to get him from my father's home to my place, I would do it. I kind of miss having it around. To give a bit of a background of my friend, who I will call Fred in this story, he's a strong believer in the paranormal. He's told me plenty of stories about ghosts in his old house, ghosts he's seen in the hospital, in the woods, heck. I live in a very, very nice neighborhood. Everyone knows each other, and we're all very friendly. Nothing ever happens around here. It was May 2019. The Toronto Raptors just made the finals, and I was so excited to finally see a professional Canadian team actually go somewhere in the playoffs. I was so excited that I had to go burn off some energy, so I decided I was going to go do some flips on my trampoline. My friend decided to stand on the deck and just watch me when he all of a sudden says, Fred, Uh, John, me, yeah, what's up? I look up and see that he looks scared. I'm not sure of what, but I know it's got to be something. Because he does not get scared easily at all. I see him pointing at my neighbor's yard, and I look over and see nothing. I ask him what he's pointing at, and he says, uh, there was someone looking at us, and they were hiding behind that tree over there. So I go up on the deck to look, and I see nothing. I sit there for about five minutes, and I see nobody, so I yell out, Hello, who's over there? I wait a few seconds, and nothing. Being a teenager with adrenaline rushing through my veins, I decided to go look behind the tree. Nothing was there. Now, fast forward to 2020, 1 January. My friend that we will call Jill lives in the neighborhood, Jill, and I was on FaceTime when she jolts her head to look behind her. I ask her what's wrong. She said I heard a banging on my front door. Her parents are out of the province at this time, so she's home alone, and it's nighttime. Next thing I know, I hear her scream, and she says there's a man that's completely black with glowing yellow eyes. is outside her window staring at her. I gulped because this is the exact same description my friend gave me of the man that was watching us in 2019. Next thing I know, Jill was crying and screaming, saying it's in her house now. I grab my bike and rush over. It's about a two-minute ride. When I get there, she lets me in and says it's gone now. It just disappeared. That's the end of this part. Fast forward to the summer of 2020. This is a fairly short part. Me and another friend were having a fire. Let's call this friend Bill. Bill has a sort of weird background with ghosts and has autism, so is scared quite easily. He's standing up goofing off when he suddenly looks terrified and says he's seen a massive shadow of a man that looked to be eight feet tall. I looked around and seen nothing, but there was a random cloud of fog in the center of my neighbor's. Yard strange, to say the least. This summer I was getting home late from a movie. As I stepped out of the car, I heard a blood-curdling scream coming from the woods near my house. I ran inside and peered out the window to find well. Nothing. To this day, I've seen nothing but all my friends have. I'm not sure what this is or if I will ever see it, but if I do, I will update this.
Old friend of mine was a deep sea diver or welder, and I asked him this same question once. He told me once about a job he was on repairing a ship or oil rig, and something swam behind him. That was very large. Like a whale? I asked. Oh, no. I mean really large. I was working and couldn't turn around, which was the tough part. I just know it was like a train was rolling behind me, and I was wondering when it would end. Huge. What do you think it was? Don't know, but I'll tell you, scientists know of about half the shit down there. It might as well be outer space. On the way back from Antarctica, we were somewhere between the 40th and 50th parallel. To go outside, you pass through a storm door, then enter a small room with a door to the outside. The door to outside is quite heavy, so when you're in a storm rolling 15, 20 degrees side to side you open it when the door faces down so it swings open. As I was taking out the trash from the engine room that morning, I performed that move, but the ship didn't stop at 20 degrees. Watching the handrail submerge under the water and continue to fill the storm room as I attempted to close the watertight door, I realized if I had been out there earlier, I would have been swept off deck and into the Antarctic waters. I do landscaping work in the area of Gladwin. The properties there are very large with lots of space between big houses. It is mostly a vast wooded area. My fellow worker and I had finished eating lunch on the front steps of the house and I went back down to the street, Country Club Lane, to put our leftovers into the car. I saw a strange dinosaur or bird-like creature flying above. At first it was silhouetted against the sky, but I clearly saw a long skinny tail that ended in an outcropping. Silhouetted as it was, I described this outcropping, at the time, as a knob or bulbous shape at the end of the tail. The tail trailed behind the creature as it flew. It then was obscured by some trees, but I continued to watch its projected path. It was pretty much traveling in a straight line. It re-emerged on the other side of the trees, and I again saw the long tail with the knob on the end. Then, at one point, it caught the light in such a way that it was no longer silhouetted. The sun must have come out from some clouds. As it traveled away to my left, I saw its dorsal side. It was a somewhat tan or golden color, and because it was such a uniform color, it appeared not necessarily to have feathers, but possibly just skin, or maybe very small scales. I told Stephen, my co-worker, that I thought I saw a petrodactyl. At the time, I didn't know the difference between a petrodactyl and other petrosaurs. I found out later that petrodactyls don't have tails like what I saw. When I described the tail to Stephen, he said, you mean something like a lion's tail. I realized that he described it very well with those words. The next night I did a search on the computer for birds that look like petrodactyls. I found out then that the paradactyl doesn't have a long tail like the creature I saw. I found four flying reptile dinosaurs or pterosaurs, all of which looked surprisingly like what I saw. They are described as being in about the same size range, too. I would guess the wingspan was about four feet, but I can only guess at that since. When something is up in the sky, it's hard to reference it to other objects. The four pterosaurs that resemble the creature I saw are, are the Ramphorhynchus, Eudemorphodon, Scaphognathus, and the Demorphodon. The last of these is only speculated to have the knob at the end of the tail, although no fossils have actually been found with it. The other three are known to have the outcropping. The outcropping in any of these is actually a diamond-shaped flap called a vein. I found that there have been many sightings of possible petrosaurs. Some people describe them as a large bat-like creature. Not everyone mentions a long tail. The actual petrodactyl, again, did not have a long tail. The peperosaurs that I named, and the ones that have been sighted by others, are bat-like in that they don't have feathers and they have hands at the bend of the wing. They are not bat, 
like in that they do not flap their wings quickly, but have more of a gliding motion to their flight, like my creature. I have to be honest in saying that I did not see hands or fingers, but there was so much for me to observe in a fairly short amount of time that I mostly noticed the tail. The shape of the head also escapes me now if I should have to describe it. My very first impression the moment I spotted it was not so much that it was a bat or bird, but rather a bird-like dinosaur. I feel so strongly about what I have seen that I sense that I should report it to somebody somewhere. I am glad that I have been able to put this in writing while the incident is still fresh. I am happy to have this information shared with anyone. If someone has another explanation other than that I saw Eterosaur, I would gladly listen. If there is a large bird in the Gladwin area with a tail like that, etc., I will consider myself informed and not argue. So far, my research doesn't indicate that, but I'm not a bird expert, etc. I was at my friend's house by the river, looking off towards the east, enjoying a cigar by a small bonfire we had started in his backyard. It was a really clear, warm night, and being out in the country a bit, there was not much light pollution, so you could really see the stars. Around 9 p.m., I noticed what appeared to be a fireball with a tail in the sky. However, this was no ordinary fireball comet or meteor. This fireball seemed alive. It was bright green in color and was moving in an erratic pattern. It did a few loops and hopped, heading from the north. We have a nuclear plant on the lake, and that seemed to be where it was coming from. To the south, before disappearing in the tree line across the river. The sighting only lasted about ten seconds. I sat there in awe for about five minutes. My friend was inside and had missed it, but he saw the look on my face. And when I told him what I saw, he believed it. I thought that would be the end of it. However little did I know, I would get a much closer encounter. Fast forward about two weeks, and once again it was nighttime. I was at my parents' house about a mile and a half away from my friend's house, where I had the sighting. It was once again nighttime. Well, I was in bed, and it had to be about four or five in the morning. I felt or saw a green flash of light through my closed eyelids, almost like someone had taken a bright flashlight, put a green filter on it and was shining it directly into my eyelids. I tried to open my eyes, but it felt like they were glued shut. I also felt pressure on all of my limbs, as if I was being held down by some sort of force. After a few seconds of panic, my eyes finally opened to my dimly moonlit room, and I wished they hadn't. I was on my twin-size mattress, which was on my bedroom floor. My bedroom is about ten by twelve, and these beings were there. I thought I was dreaming, so I blinked a few times and was able to tilt my head a little to the left and right. The beings were still there. These beings were gray in appearance and were short little things, probably knee-high at most. They did not appear to be wearing clothes. They were just light gray and had very smooth skin. They had large black eyes, thin limbs, were bald and had oversized heads with small pot bellies. All of them seemed to be hunched over in appearance, and were all identical. Their faces showed no menace. They were more or less vacantly staring at me while occasionally looking at one another, seemingly non-verbally communicating back and forth. There was one on each of my limbs, one holding my head, one standing by my door, seemingly as a lookout, one standing bedside to my right, and one in front of the closet off to the right for a total of eight. I tried to move, to struggle, anything, but it was as if their hands had a numbing effect on my body. My brain said, fight, struggle, do something. However, despite my best efforts, I could do nothing but lay there at their mercy. It seems as if by holding me, they were able to block my brain's signals to move. I was finally able to whisper, please stop, go away, leave me alone. The one standing off to my right seemed to sense my fear or understand me because he reached over and stroked my face and spoke in a sort of whispering, raspy, elderly man's voice, saying, It's fine. You are safe. 
After saying this, one by one, the gray beings hopped off me and scampered over to where the one being was standing by my closet, and each seemed to teleport in a quiet, quick flash. No light, while the one who spoke to me kept his hand on me, stroking my head as if to reassure my safety, but keep me paralyzed still. The one standing by the door, who I assumed to be the lookout, then went to the spot by my closet, and it too vanished along with the one standing next to my closet. The one standing bedside said, One last time, rest, you're safe. Then patted me, sort of trotted over to my closet like the rest, looked back at me, nodded, then vanished. I sort of passed out, then woke back up in a rush with full function of my body in a cold sweat. I rushed over to my light switch, turned on the lights, and just sat there horrified at what had happened. I just sat there shaking my head. It had to be a dream, I thought. I looked down at my arms and legs and was horrified. I could see faint red marks where the beings had been holding me. My room had this weird smell about it, and there was a small, seemingly bleached, yellowy spot about the size of an M&M on my blue carpet, where I saw the beings teleport from by my closet area. That spot had not been there before. To this day, I still get a nervous feeling when I go to sleep and usually cover that area up with a blanket or something in hopes that these visitors don't come back. A part of me also sort of wishes they would come back in a less intrusive way so I could find out what they did to me and why.